If you're with us this morning, you know we began a new series, and I'm doing something a little different than I normally do in series. We're going to try to do most of these lessons Sunday morning and Sunday night, so we don't string it out maybe quite so many weeks that week way. And the series, you can see, is entitled Home Improvement. And the metaphor that I use this morning, I think, is a valid metaphor that none of us that own a home would have any idea that we'd be able to live in a house just indefinitely and never make some improvements to that house, uh, that something was going to happen to it. Back when I came in this evening, I saw it looked like there'd been some water. I don't know if we sprung a leak on our roof or we had a plumbing problem or what, but I guess we need some home improvement to this house. Uh, that, that's just life. I mean, when you have a building, it needs to be repaired. And yet, for some strange reason, we think the people that live in the house never need any improvement, never need any work, never need any enrichment, never need any help. And that's not so. And so in this series, we want to think about home improvement and ways that we can grow and develop and improve our relationships as husbands and wives, mothers and fathers, and sons and daughters. And these first couple of lessons are kind of generic um, in a sense. And so we're going to get into some more specific things in future lessons down the road. But tonight, uh, I raise the question, what's a family for? And we're going to think about the idea of just some basics. Why, why have a family? And I, I want to be careful not to try to get into the mind of God that I don't know, because uh, we for sure, we only know what God has revealed. And so I understand that. And yet, I think there are some things in the Bible that are said not only specifically, but some hints of things and some principles uh, that give us some insight and God's purpose and providing family for us. And so let's think about why God created family and what is the purpose of family. And the first thing I want to share with you that I believe that a family is a refuge from the various storms of life. The wise man expressed it this way in Proverbs 14, verse 26. He said, he who fears the Lord has a secure fortress. And for his children, it will be a refuge. Have you noticed something in the reading of the Psalms? And, and I may come back if I have time and look at some things from the Psalms about this concept specifically and, and other applications of the Christian life. But the number of times that we read about a refuge or a fortress and how David uses that metaphor in terms of how the Lord is his refuge or the Lord is his fortress. I think we actually read it tonight, didn't we, in Psalm 46. So the idea is a prevalent uh, metaphor in the Old Testament. And I'm not 100% sure why that is, but I suspect that at that time, when we know the cities were fortified and the cities were walled, they were used to the idea of a fortress. In fact, you know, when Nehemiah went back to rebuild Jerusalem, he was concerned because the people were defenseless. They didn't have fortification. They didn't have walls. And so this metaphor is that we have a fortress. We have a refuge in the Lord and the one that fears the Lord. Now, notice this is qualified a little bit. That it's the one that fears the Lord, the one that respects the Lord, the one that is serving the Lord, the one that has a relationship with the Lord, that that person has a secure fortress, and for his children then, they're going to have refuge. They're going to have safety. 
Refuge from what? Well, the various storms of life that come along. Now, there are a lot of storms of life. But let me just briefly suggest three that I think are very common to us. One, there are storms of change. There are a lot of changes that happen uh, in life, in our culture, in our society. We talked this morning about a lot of those kind of changes that we have witnessed in the last number of years in America. Some changes, of course, are good things. There are good things that they are changed that make life easier, more comfortable, and all of that. But there are also some things that are not so good. And sometimes families are sub, uh, subjected to dealing with some bad changes, some difficulties that we have to deal with. Uh, Alan Topher, the futurist, talked about how that the family can provide a constant in the face of change, and he calls them islands of security in an age of future shock. Well, that's a pretty good way to put it. Because when you look at the changes that have occurred in our culture, I mean, just in the last few years, when it comes to marriage and home and family and morals, it's a pretty incredible thing. And you got young children, and you're trying to explain that to your children, and all of these changes are going on, there just seems there's a lot of instability. And so as change happens, the home, the home certainly that fears the Lord, can be a place of stability when these storms come. And that we need to make our homes a place where our children are not afraid, but feel secure. And they realize that we have a commitment to the Lord and to things of a higher nature. And then there's a storm of failure. Nobody wins all the time. We all make mistakes. We all stumble. We all fall. We fail a test. Something happens that is not a good thing. And failure is a whole lot easier to handle when you have someone to come, into that, come home to that loves you and that cares for you and says, we're going to make it through this. We're going to be there for each other. You know, I'm reminded, and though I think the parable makes a greater point, Luke 15, that the parable of the prodigal son has some side issues that I think help us can think about family a little bit. And you all are familiar in Luke 15 with the story, I'm sure, and how that the man that was a plantation owner had the two sons, and the younger son said, give me my inheritance, and he took it, and off he went into the far land, and he wasted the inheritance of riotous living, the Bible says, and ended up in the pig pen. And he was so hungry, he would have eaten what they fed the pigs, but no man would even give him that. And one of the great statements of the Bible says that he came to himself. That's a good statement. When you come to yourself and you realize the situation you're in, he came to himself and basically said, what am I doing down here? My father's servants have more than enough to eat, and I'm here in the pig pen. And he said, I will rise and I will go to my father. And I said, Father, I've sinned against you and against heaven. I'm not worthy to be called your son, but make me one of your hired servants. And off he began the long trek home. And the story in Luke 15, in this parable Jesus tells, pictures the father, and he sees the son, it says, a long way off. Someone asked one time, said, wonder how he happened to seem a long way off. I know how, two, one, two reasons. One, you recognize your son. <laughs> All right, you know how your son walks. You recognize that's my son. 
But the second thing that occurs to me, I have to believe that father went out every day, probably several times a day. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you be looking for your son, hopefully, to one day come home? I believe he, I believe he was. That you know the account. The boy comes home and he, he has his speech rehearsed and he begins to give it. But the father didn't shake his finger in his face and say, look at you, you've disgraced yourself. You, you, you don't have shoes. Where, where's your family ring? Uh, your robe is tattered. No, he began to call for servants to bring him shoes and bring him a robe and bring the ring and to kill the fatted calf. The, the boy had failed. The boy had failed miserably. And yet in the story of the prodigal son, we have the faithful father that welcomes the boy home. Well, that certainly is a lesson that the Lord was teaching, that we have a heavenly Father that welcomes us home when we fail, when we fall short of the mark. But in our homes, should we model that? Should we be like our Father? And when our young people make mistakes, when there are problems in the home, be willing to forgive and make the home a place of security and safety, a refuge from the storm of failure? And then we have the storm of rejection. And this is a tough one to handle. And this begins early in life, doesn't it? I, I suppose we all can remember times uh, as, as kids when we were rejected. And kids sometimes can be very brutal, can't they? And they can say the most awful things to one another. And bullying has become a big problem today. But the home is a place of refuge in the storm of rejection. The wise men said in Ecclesiastes 4 and verse 12, If one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a three-fold cord is not quickly broken. In other words, there's strength in numbers. And there ought to be strength in numbers that when we have a home set up, as we talked about this morning, the arrangement of a mother and father and children, that there we are for one another. Now, the question comes then, how do you turn the home into this kind of shelter? Jail Boris, who's the director of Institute of Marriage and Family Relations in Washington, D.C., and he's not, not a Christian as far as I know, but made an interesting statement here about the family. He said, we're finally realizing that we have to get back to basics in order to reestablish the type of families that give us a type of security that children can grow up in. Well, I hope we're realizing that. I'm not sure that we are or not. But certainly we understand from a biblical standpoint that that is true. Now, let me just give you four practical things that you can do to do what this proverb says, to turn your home into a shelter in the time of storm. The first thing is to hear. You've got to listen when someone hurts. James 1 verse 19 said, Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Now we're going to come back in another lesson and talk more about what the Bible says about communication because it says a lot about communication. But one thing is you've got to listen. You've got to hear. You know, sometimes my wife wants to talk to me about something and as men, we want to fix problems. That's just kind of our way we're wired. And I've had her say to me sometimes, she said, no, I, I don't want you to try to fix this. Just listen. And you know, all the ladies are kind of smiling. The men are saying, I never did understand why women say that. Well, whether you understand or not, it's true. It's just, just a fact. 
enters in time to hear. Sometimes our kids just need us to listen. And so we make the home a place where we do not turn a deaf ear when someone hurts. And then someone just needs a hug. We need to give physical affection to the family. Hugs and embraces and kisses and pats on the back. In Ecclesiastes 3, when it talks about a time for everything, said there's a time to embrace. And, and again, there is a time, sometimes a family member just needs a hug. They don't need a speech. They don't need to analyze the problem. They just need to show that you care. They need a hug. And we need to give help when help is needed. That's what a family is for, isn't it? To help one another in time of need. And then to provide hope, to give more strokes than pokes, to lift up, to encourage, not to tear down, not to be hypercritical, but to be an encourager. Now, there, there are four words, simple words, all start with the letter H, that you can remember. Hear, hug, help, and hope. Now, that may sound really, really simple to you, but you know what that'll do? That will provide a refuge in the time of storm, a place of safety, if you do it from the perspective we talked about. Well, a second reason for family is that a family is to be a learning center for life. Have you ever think about that in the family, you learn the most basic skills of life, how to walk, how to talk, to eat, to use the TV remote? I mean, just fundamental Fundamental things that you need to know in order to survive in the family. The psalmist said in Psalm 144 and verse 12, May our sons in their youth be like plants that grow up strong. And so here we have a different figure of speech used. We have the figure of speech of a plant. And so the idea here that our children, as they're young, are like these tender plants. Now, this is something I know a little bit about because I grew up on the farm. And I can remember as you plant a seed and a little plant of corn comes up and uh, it's, it, it's tender and, you know, something can happen to it or a, a rabbit can come along and eat the plant or it can get stepped on and squashed or something. And, and so you've got to be careful of that plant. You want that plant to grow up strong. But when that plant grows up as a stalk of corn... Now, that plant's strong, isn't it? And so that is kind of the picture here. May our sons and the youth be like plants that what? Grow up strong. That they grow strong as they, as they mature. And then we have the passage in the New Testament that speaks of Jesus in Luke 2 and verse 52, that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. You know... Just as kind of a little sidebar to this, when we think about what's a family for, when God decided to send His Son into the world, how did He send Him? He sent Him into a family, didn't He? With a mother and with a father, and to go through the natural process where you're born and you're a child, and here we picture Him. We don't know a lot about Jesus' childhood. We read about His birth in the first couple of years a little bit, and then we see Him there at age 12, and that's when this... This uh, passage of Luke is penned when Jesus is in the temple, you remember. And then we don't see much out of him until age 30. But at age 30, what we find out, that he was a carpenter. And he had been evidently taken on his father's trade. 
And so we see that during this time, and the comment is, he grew in wisdom, he grew in stature, he grew physically, he grew mentally, he grew spiritually in favor with God, and he grew socially in his relationship with mankind. So I suggest that in our family, we learn relationships. And God created us for relationships. He, that's a part of life. We need to learn how to get along with one another. We need to learn how to build a relationship with God, develop favor with God, and we need to know how to get along with other people. And so in our families, are we teaching our children that? Are we teaching them about God and about having favor with God and what it means to love God? And are we teaching them respect and favor in relationships with others? How to get along with people, how to resolve conflict. We're going to have a whole lesson just on how to resolve conflict. But that is so important. How do you deal with your emotions? We learn relationships in our family. Secondly, we learn about character in our family. Kids are going to pick up a good character or they're going to pick up a bad character. One of the two. And you know where that begins? That begins as they look at us. As they look at mom and as they look at dad. What are we modeling before our children? Our words, our actions, our attitudes. You know, our kids, I mean, they're watching the way we interact. They're, they're watching, the, they're learning about the role of a husband and a wife as they watch us. And so what are we role modeling before them? Are we dealing with our emotions as we should? Are we respecting one another? Are, are they being taught character? I know 1 Corinthians 15, tells us that evil companions corrupt good morals. And I suggest to you that character is more easily caught than it is taught sometimes. That we can teach a child, we can try to teach what's right and wrong and teach good character, but children are like sponges and they pick that up as they look at us. The wise man said in Proverbs 20 and in verse 11, even a child is known by his actions, by whether his conduct is pure and right. And so even, even a child is judged that way. And so are we teaching our children the right character, the right conduct, the right actions of righteousness and purity? Not only that, the family's a learning center for life because it's a place where we learn to respect authority a very familiar passage to us is ephesians 6 1 and 2 children obey your parents and the lord for this is right honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with promise one of the great challenges with youth today is a respect you know i've i've talked a number of times through the years to school teachers and elementary school teachers and almost invariably, one of the challenges that first grade teachers would tell you that they have with children is a lack of respect. And they'll make the point to you pretty quick. You know, there's a lot of problems in the school system, but that's not my fault. It's not my fault that kids come into the first grade with no respect for authority and no respect for the teacher. Where does that blame lie? Well, we know where it is. It's in the home. And so we must teach our children respect and honor and obedience if they're to grow up and to be what God would have them to be. And then along that line in the home is where we learn values. 
What is really important in life? What values do you want your family to believe, to embrace, and to follow? Values of spirituality, values of morality, values of ethics and, and honesty, values regarding sexual relationships, values regarding money, uh, honesty. All those kinds of things are taught in the home. Isaiah put it this way in Isaiah 38, verse 19, one generation makes known its faithfulness to the next. And so generation to generation, father to son and on down, we pass on our values. What are we leaving our children? What values are we teaching them? What's a family for? A family is to be a learning center for life. And then I'm not going to camp on this third point too long. But I want to suggest the family is a place to play. The family should be a habitat for happiness. In Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 9, the wise man said, enjoy life with your wife whom you love. And then he adds, or in Proverbs 5 and verse 18, rejoice with your wife, the wife of your youth. Now, these two passages, and I believe as you look at the Bible and you read uh, of the merriment in the home and the enjoyment of the home, that God created the family as a place to have fun, a place of joy and laughter and happiness. And I'll just share this way. It just seems to me that, that if we're not careful, we get a little bit up too uptight in our families, that we become too stressed, and that we need to lighten up and enjoy life and enjoy one another and enjoy our relationships and rejoice in this relationship that God has placed us in. A family is a place to play. It's a place, place to enjoy one another. And then I want to take a little bit more time and talk about how the family is to be a launching pad for ministry. Have you ever thought about that? You know, the, the Lord is the glue that holds the family together. Look at these three passages with me. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. And then wives, submit your own husbands as it is fitting in the Lord. And then children, obey your parents in the Lord. Now you see the common denominator in those three passages. The common denominator is the Lord. And so we begin this, this lesson with a key verse from Proverbs that when we think about the idea of security, when we think about the idea of safety, when we think about the idea of a refuge from storms, it begins with he who fears the Lord. He's the one that has a secure fortress. The Lord is the glue that holds your family together. And I'll just say that when we, when we get away from the Lord and the word of the Lord, then we have weakened that structure, that, that, that relationship. And the closer that we are to the Lord, then I think the closer that we're going to be to one another and to what God would have us to be as a family. And so then, the family is a place to minister to the needs of one another. In the home, we serve each other's needs. We're very fond sometimes, especially us men, of quoting in Ephesians 5, where he tells wives to submit to their own husbands as to the Lord in verse 22. But verse 21 says, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. 
And so there is a ministry that we have to one another, wife to husband, husband to wife, parents to children. In Galatians 5 and verse 13, Paul said, through love, serve one another. I mentioned this morning, if you're here, about how I think sometimes we look at Bible verses and concepts kind of in a vacuum, and we kind of look at them like they apply to the church. Now, they do apply to the church, but we think of that kind of a, a corporate or collective thing or in our worship or something. And I think we fail to see the application sometimes just in life, just in our families, just in our, our relationships. Through love, serve one another. Well, that not only applies to the brethren, but does not, that not apply in our homes? That we ought to be serving one another in our homes? It's a place to teach ministry, and we teach a lot when we model ministry in the home. Not only that, we minister to the needs of the church family. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10, he said, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. But then he said, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And so the home is a great place to model ministry to the spiritual family. And to be able to be involved in, as we involve our entire families in ministering in a way to our church family. You know, some of my fond memories as a kid growing up was the hospitality that my mom offered to people we had in our home. We always had the visiting preacher, and I was already as a young man thinking that I wanted to preach when I grew up. And so I learned a lot from these older preachers that would come and we'd talk to them about preaching. And I, I tell you this, that if I, if I visit someone's home and a boy comes up to me and said, you know, Brother Welliver, I'm thinking about being a preacher. Hey, he's got my attention. I want to talk to that young man and pour something into him to encourage him. And, and so I was benefited greatly just through the hospitality of my mother inviting preachers into our home as well as others. It was a great way to minister, and it was a great way to teach us. And I'm thankful that when Norma Jean and I married, that I was able to marry. And some of you don't know this, but most of my preacher friends know it, that Norma Jean is the best preacher's wife in the world. Okay. I just, I just tell my preacher friends that. I, I know you have a good wife, and she may be the second best, but mine is the best. She just... That's a little running joke I have with, with two or three of my friends. But, but uh, she, she is the best, though, whether they totally accept that or not, and, that, that, loves, that loves to entertain, that loves to, to minister to people. And, and our kids have seen that. And we see now as our children have grown up and become adults and they have families, how they do some of these kind of things. That we never sat down and just told them, now this is what you ought to do. They just watched us. They just watched Norma Jean. And they begin to pick up a lot of those things. It's a great way to serve the family of believers. It may be open your home for Bible study, for hospitality, to teen groups, whatever it may be. And then I would suggest in this same verse, we minister to the needs of our non-Christian friends. To those, as we have opportunity, to all people, to everybody. Jesus told the parable in Luke 10 of the Good Samaritan of being interested in the person that they, you find along life's highway that, it, that is hurting. 
Are we interested not only in the spiritual welfare, but the physical welfare and the condition of our friends, our neighbors, and our co-workers? The home is a place where we can teach this to our children and where we can be involved in ministry in whatever way. And there are so many ways. There are so many organizations that you can volunteer. Or you don't have to be a part of an organization. You know, when in the meeting I was in this past week, I got up one morning and the folks that we were staying with, the lady was fixing some food. And I knew we weren't eating with them that night. And I asked what she was doing. And a neighbor had had a death um, in their subdivision where they lived. And she was fixing food to take to that neighbor. And I thought, well, that's Galatians 6.10 in action, isn't it? It doesn't always have to be someone in your church family you're taking, taking food to. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's someone that's not a Christian and that we can minister them. Uh, take your children on some of those things. Involve your children in some of these kinds of ministries where you visit people and encourage people and help people and do other things for people. What's a family for? It's a refuge from storms. It's a learning center for life. It's a place to have fun and enjoy and to play. It is a launching pad for ministry. And so I'd like to challenge us in this series of lessons to have the attitude of Joshua. When Joshua 24 and verse 15 said, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Maybe a good question is for you to ask yourself, what is your family all about? What is your family for? What is your family providing? Is it providing security? Is it providing learning? Is it providing fun? Is it providing ministry? There's a book that many of us used for many years. Some of you that are older remember it. It was P.D. Wilma's book, The Christian Home. And it was kind of a staple in every church for many years. It was used in Bible classes. But one of the things I remember out of Wilma's book, he said that the home is the supreme conductor of Christianity. And he said that if Christianity won't work in the home, what right do we have to expect it to work anywhere else? Now, I've never forgotten that. And I think Brother Wilma was right. Christianity needs to work in the home. So I would ask us again tonight, do we see any need for home improvement? Are there any ways that we can be a better mother, father, husband, wife, parent, child? We see some things that we looked at tonight that say, you know, we can do a little better with that. We can improve in that area. And I challenge us all to do that and to look at this series in a practical way, not in a way that we're trying to lay a guilt trip on anybody or to beat anybody up, but just a way to heighten our awareness and the realization that we need to have a kind of home that God would have us to be a part of. Jubal, as we pray together. Father, I thank you for this good Lord's Day you've given us, for the privilege of worship, our church family here at West Main, uh, for those that shepherd, for those that serve, for those that teach. Father, I thank you for the families that are represented here, for mothers and fathers and husbands and wives, for sons and daughters. We pray, Father, for each one of us in our respective role and relationship that we would work to develop that relationship in terms of our relationship with you in the Lord and that we would seek to individually become everything that you would have us to be and to be the kind of examples we follow you. 
and thus help us in our homes, that our homes might be a shining example of what the Christian life is all about. And Father, as we fall short, help us to admit our shortcomings and give us a spirit and attitude to improve and to grow and to improve in our homes in a way that would give glory and honor to you. Bless us each to that end. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we close another service, another day of worship, we sing a song that Kyle selected, a song of invitation. And as I often think of when I present these kind of lessons, knowing that we haven't specifically talked about what to do to become a Christian, I'm kind of reminded of the fact that maybe we answer the invitation where we are. Maybe you're already a Christian. You don't need to be baptized for mission of sins. And maybe there's not something in your life that's glaring that you feel need to come and ask the prayers of the church family. But it, could it be that uh, today in these two lessons a nerve has been touched and maybe you've been bothered by something a little bit that's not quite right? I would encourage you to make that right in your family. Maybe you need to have a little family conference where you go to bed at night and you sit around the table and say, you know, Brother Ken talked about some things today and, you know, we're going to do better. I'm going to be a better father. I'm going to be a better husband. I'm going to be a better mother. I'm going to be a better wife. And we want you to know that. And just pray together about it a little bit. That'd be a great response of this invitation tonight if that need exists. But if we can serve you in any way, we invite you to come as we stand and sing. I gave my heart for thee.